the fall, and we're not talking about a season today. Let's spend some time in prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Hallowed be your name. May we in our worship today treat your name as holy. And in our lives this week, in our homes, and in our work, in our school, may we lift up your name. We pray that your kingdom would come. King Jesus, may we follow you this week. May we share the gospel of the kingdom with others. And King Jesus, we long for that day you return and your kingdom comes in all of its fullness. We pray your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are so aware of others not doing your will. Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us that we would want to do the will of God on earth as it is in heaven, that others might see you transforming us and might want the same. Give us this day our daily bread. You know our financial needs as individuals and as families, as a church. We need you. Meet our needs. And uh, our relational needs, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Oh, we have wronged you, forgive us. And as you forgive us much, help us to forgive others much. Help us to be a forgiven, forgiving people. And Lord, we pray that you would lead us not into temptations, keep us from temptation and, and deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil that's in us, our flesh of actually thinking that we're wiser than you are, deliver us and deliver us from the world always trying to squeeze us into its mold and deliver us from the evil one who is out to deceive us. As we open your word together today, teach us for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You ever look around our world and, and just say, why is the world so broken? Why is there so much evil? Why is there so much suffering? Why is there so much death? That's what we're going to explore today. We're going to explore an event called the fall. And what we're going to explore is how the fall wrecked everything. We're going to explore how the fall wrecked everything and everyone. If you're here for the first time, this year we're walking through the book of Genesis together. Genesis means origins, and we're learning how everything started. We're learning how the story started. The Bible is one story. It's the story. It's the story of the gospel, a great rescue story. Don't you love rescue stories? It's a story of how Jesus seeks and saves the lost. And I know this will be a review for a lot of you, but the one story has four chapters. And chapter one in the story is called Creation, which answers the question, where did everything come from? And if you've been here, we've spent the whole month of January answering the question, where did everything come from? And we've learned that God made everything out of nothing. And it was good that we were created for a person and a place. And so today we, we, we move into the next chapter. We move into what the Bible calls the fall. And we're going to learn how the fall wrecked everything, everyone and everyone, everything and everyone. We're also going to get a little insight into chapter 3, redemption, which is how do we fix it? Well, we can't, but Jesus can. And, and then we're going to look toward the future of 
Chapter 4, which is consummation. If you ever wonder how it's all going to end, Jesus is coming back. He's going to make all things new. But today, we've spent the whole month of January in chapter 1. We've spent the whole month and we've learned that at this point, everything is good. Everything is good. All that God has made is good. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And here's where everything changed. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said. Now notice, a serpent talks to the woman and she's not surprised, right? I mean, we'd be surprised, wouldn't we? Uh, Perhaps... Perhaps um, before the fall that that animals were were better able to communicate with people, or perhaps it's just that everything is new. Everything is new, and they hadn't quite figured out yet who can talk, who hasn't. But, But a serpent speaks. Eve is not surprised. And how can a serpent speak? Well, the Bible teaches that Satan has entered into a snake and is speaking through the snake. And Some of you say, well, who is Satan? Satan is an angel, a created being who was created by God, not content to be a a creature. He wanted to be God, so he rebelled against God, and he was cast out of heaven. And I know some of you probably say, well, you don't really believe in the devil, do you? And I do. And if you ask me why, the first reason I would believe in the devil is because Jesus did. And um, that's the standard of truth, what Jesus believes I did. And, and so Jesus believed the devil was real. And secondly, there's the evidence of truth. When I look around the world or through history, I see plenty of evidence that, um, that the devil is real. So I, I love the Bible. This is so good. The Bible was written over 1,500 years, over 1,500 years, over 40 authors. So in the first book of the Bible, we read about the serpent, and then we come to the last book in the Bible in Revelation chapter 12. Notice this. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old. So the serpent we read about in Genesis 3, we also read about in the last book in Genesis 12, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. Notice, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So Satan rebels against God and other angels join him and they are cast out of heaven. They come to earth intent on destroying mankind and the earth that God loves. So let's just take a moment and ask the question, um, when was Satan created? And and the Bible doesn't say explicitly, but it seems like it would have happened on the first day of creation, because on the first day of creation we read what? In the beginning God created the heavens, right? And so angels were in heaven with God, created the heavens and the earth. So it would seem that Satan was created on the first day, and then the question, well, when did he fall? Now, again, the Bible doesn't say explicitly, but on the sixth day of creation, it doesn't seem like he had fallen yet, because on the sixth day, it says God looked over all that he had made, and it was very good. So it would seem that the devil had not fallen by the sixth day, but it seems very soon after that, he did fall. And you say, why soon? Because Eve is a ten, isn't she? And she's naked, isn't she? And Adam is a 10, and he's naked too, right? 
And at this point, what? There's no little Adams, there's no little Eves, there's no babies running around. So it would seem that very quickly after creation that, that Satan fell and he comes to the earth and that's when the story takes place. So the devil cast out of heaven, he said to the woman, indeed has God said. The first thing Satan does is he questions God's word. And do you hear there's a little bit of a condescending sneer? Has God really said, you go to college and your professor says, has God really said, you don't believe the Bible, do you? Isn't it true that almost every cultural issue we deal with or even issues people deal with in the church really have to do with the authority of Scripture? Has God really said? You ever heard that? Um, and, and, and that sneer reminds me so much of the, um, of the little girl and she's reading her Bible and, and along comes this man and says, you don't believe that. Or says, what are you reading? And she says, the Bible. And he says, you don't believe that book, do you? And she says, yes, I believe it. And he says, you don't believe all of it, do you? And she says, yes, I believe all of it. And he says, you don't believe that part about Jonah in a fish, do you? And he says, she says, yes, I do. And he, he says, well, I've got a question for you. And she says, okay. And, and he says, uh, how could Jonah be three days and three nights in the belly of a fish and not be eaten by the digestive juices? And she says, that's a good question. I don't know, but when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. <laughs> and the man sneers and says, well, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? And she responds, then you can ask him. <laughs> I, I love that. Man, you can ask him, okay? Has God really said he created everything in six days? Has God really said there's one way to God? Has God really said hell is a real place? Has God really said sex belongs in marriage to be enjoyed alone between a husband and a wife? Has he really? So notice the first thing Satan does is he questions God's word, does exactly the same thing today. The second thing that he does is he questions God's goodness. Has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? You see, God is, a, is, is against joy. He's a joy stealer. He's trying to keep you from having fun. He won't let you eat from any tree of the garden. And I want you to know the truth is it's all yeses. It's all yeses, only one no. It's all yeses and one no. And yet Satan's first thing is he begins to get to Eve to think about the what? About all the yeses? No, no, about the one no. Do you ever find yourself preoccupied with the one no? Do you? Do, do you ever look at all the things God says yes to and enjoy? And uh, guess who likes to remind you of the no? Hmm? Now, he's very effective. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Eve is beginning to doubt God's goodness. She's beginning to doubt God's word. One of the things the Bible warns us against, it says don't add to 
And don't take away from God's word. Don't add to it. And don't take it away. And she does both in her answer. She does both. L let me show you that. <clears throat> Back in chapter 2, <clears throat> the command was given to Adam. Eve hadn't been created yet. But Adam's job was to tell Eve. But notice that the Lord God commanded the man saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat what? Now notice that. Freely, okay? You may eat freely, but from the fruit, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, I want you to notice how Eve does not have a good grasp on what God said and how she both takes away and adds to it. Do you see that? From the fruit of the tree, she says, we may eat. But from, notice what she leaves out, we may eat what? Freely. She makes God seem a little less gracious, right? Well, yeah, we may eat, but she doesn't say freely. God said, eat all you want. It's all yeses but one no. We may eat. So she takes away, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or... So what did she just do? She just what? She just added to what God said, right? Or you will die. So she both takes away and adds to both of those show that she's beginning to think God is really trying to keep her from having fun. Do you ever hear that? God's trying to keep you from having fun. That's why he has so many re rules. Are you kidding me? It was all yeses. There was only one no. <clears throat> um, now, um, I got married and found out my wife doesn't like boxing. But, it, but if you watch boxing, the, the, they start off often, they hit the person in the stomach a few times to soften them up a bit, right? And then when they've softened them up with a few body blows, then they go for the knockout and they hit them in the face, right? Knock them out. And so what Satan has done first is give a couple of body blows to Eve. He softened her up a little bit, and now he's really swinging. He's going for the knockout blow. See, first he questioned God's word, then he questions God's goodness. Now notice what he does. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. He calls God a liar. God is a liar. You won't die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He says, don't be content to be a creature. You can be God. Don't be content to walk with God in paradise. You can be God. And isn't that what's under all sin, isn't it? That we want to be God, that we want to run our own lives. We don't want anyone telling us what to do, including God. <laughs> wow. Now notice what he says. It's, what Satan says is, like most deceit, it's truth mixed with error. Because he says, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and their eyes would be open, and you will be like God, but they would not be like God. Knowing good and evil, I want you to know that Adam and Eve already knew good. They knew good because what? Everything God made was good. They knew good. But he says, then you will know evil, and not like God did God knew about evil, but they would know evil experientially. Uh, <clears throat> when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes 
and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now I want you to know, notice how, how sin happens. It starts in the mind. It starts in the mind. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, where did she get that idea? Did God tell her it was good for food? You guys there, did he? No, he said it'll kill you. But she begins to have wrong thoughts. She begins to entertain the lies and the deceptions of the devil. It started in the mind, right? And then it moves to the emotions that she wanted it. And then it was a delight to the eyes. It goes from the mind to the emotions that we begin to want what God forbids. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. And then it moves to the will where we do something wrong. She took from its fruit and ate and she ate. What did she do then? She gave also to her husband with her. Had Adam been there all the time? I'm not sure, but he was there then, and she gave him the fruit, and he ate, because sin loves company, doesn't it? When we do something wrong, what do we want? We want to get other people to do the same, don't we, so that we don't feel bad about what we've done? Um, now, notice all the resistance Adam put up against it, right? She gave him the fruit, and he ate. No resistance at all. Of course, let me defend Adam a little bit. Come on, a naked lady says, here, take and eat. What's he going to do? He's going to eat, right? I mean, come on, how many IQ points does a man forfeit in the presence of a naked lady? How many? All of them, right? Right? I mean, isn't that what the great theologian Farrah Fawcett said? You know what she said, right? That man's eyes work better than his brain? You ever see how many men wreck their lives? Why? Because their eyes work better than their brains. Nothing much has changed since the garden, has it? That's the fall. Eve ate, Adam ate, and the fall wrecked everything. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. Guilt has come into the world. Shame has come into the world. Everything has changed. Um, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They began to hide from each other and from God. And I know some of you say, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought God said they would die. That is what God said, and that's what happened. In the Bible, death means separation, separation. And there's three kinds of death in the Bible. There's spiritual death, which is separation from God. And the moment they sinned, they were separated from God, and they began to feel guilt and shame, spiritually dead. The moment they died, physical death came into the world, sickness came into the world, suffering, and eventually death. Physical death is the separation of our body and spirit from each other that came into the world, and isn't that true of all of us? When we were born, there's a life principle in us, but there's also a death principle, and eventually what happens? The death principle wins, spiritual death, physical death, and then the worst kind of death, eternal death, which is separation of our body and spirit from God and from all good things forever. The fall wrecked everything, bringing death into the world and guilt and shame. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. We were created for a person and a place. There was a time where every day God came and walked. 
God walked with Adam and Eve in paradise, person and place. And that was not enough. It was not enough for man to walk with God in paradise and man sinned and that wrecked everything. It seems like here that it wasn't unusual for God to come walking and God had not changed, but man had changed. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So man, filled with guilt and shame, is hiding from God and from each other. Seems kind of silly to us, them hiding from God, doesn't it? But what do we do? Don't we try and hide from God, don't we? Don't we try and hide from each other? Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Um, does God not know where Adam and Eve are? What's he doing? Why is he asking a question? He's giving them the opportunity to do what? To confess what they've done. But we're going to see that Adam was not quick to confess, right? God's giving them an opportunity to confess, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. He denies what he's done wrong. God gives him another opportunity, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Again, he gives him an opportunity to confess, but again, he denies and he begins to blame. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Did Adam confess his sin? No, he blamed. And who did he blame? He blamed the woman, but he ultimately he blamed what? God, man, my life was so good till you gave me that woman. That woman you gave me, she gave to me and I ate. Notice how he blames. And haven't we been blaming people ever since, haven't we? Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? Would she confess? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Do you know what the pattern is for human sin? We deny and deny and deny and deny we have done wrong. And then when we are caught, we blame. Don't we? We blame. Listen, yes, I lost my temper, but... You made me so mad. Oh, we deny, 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 and blame. And we see that pattern over and over again in our own lives and in the lives of others. And what I want you to see here is that the fall wrecked everything. Everyone, everything. We were created for a person and a place. And man's fall separated us from that person we were meant to do life with. And we are born spiritually dead. And, um, and listen, that place was lost. Paradise was lost. We don't live in paradise anymore. We live in a, land, a world of sickness and suffering and earthquakes and plane crashes, don't we? Oh, but I want you to see, we see chapter 2 here, how the fall wrecked everything. But in this chapter as well, we see little, a little glimpse of chapter 3 of redemption. Because right here in these verses we read, we see the gospel. We see the gospel. We see the bad news of the gospel. When we say the fall wrecked everything, it, here's the bad news, that we are sinners by birth and by choice. That we have inherited from our parents a sinful human nature. So we are sinners by birth, but we're also sinners by choice. 
Every one of us has chosen to sin against God in thought and word and deed over and over again, and we are in big trouble. But right here, too, we see the good news of the gospel of a seeking and saving Savior. Did you see that? Did you see verse 8? They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to the man. Who's hiding in the story? Man is hiding. Who's pursuing? God is. That's the difference between religion and the gospel. If you look at religion, in religion you'll find that God is hiding and man is seeking. Man is seeking a God who's hiding. But the gospel is the opposite. The gospel says man is hiding and God is seeking and God is saving. Isn't that the message of the Bible? Isn't it? For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. We were lost. We were hiding. We had run away. And God was pursuing us in the person of Jesus Christ. God the Son put on flesh and and came to earth pursuing us, living a perfect life, going to the cross, dying in our place, right? Listen, he was seeking and saving us. Look at this great verse in 1 Corinthians. Look at this. For since by a man came death, our first parents sinned against God, sin, death came into the world, right? By a man also came the resurrection of the dead. In the same way, listen, we, we, we can uh, have eternal life. Uh, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. You see, Jesus lived that perfect life, took our sins upon himself, died, rose, proving he had conquered sin and death, and Jesus offers us eternal life. You know what he offers us? Forgiveness for all of our sins, past, present, and future. He offers us an abundant life now, the chance to do life with him. We can do life with that person that we were created for, to do life with Jesus. And then, and then he promises us eternity with him, that we can do life with him in that place, person and place forever. And, and what does he require of us? In John 6, would you, would you read this verse with me? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Now, as you look at that verse, who does Jesus say has eternal life? Who? Who? Those who believe. So if you believe, what does that mean about you? That you have eternal life. And if you don't believe, you don't. But wouldn't you like to? Wouldn't you like to be forgiven? Wouldn't you like to do life with and for Jesus, an abundant life now? Wouldn't you like to do eternity with and for Jesus, wouldn't you? You see, our part, very simple, our part is to believe. And, and that really is as simple as ABC where we admit and believe and commit. And if you've never done that, won't you admit, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And, and won't you believe? I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And, and won't you commit to him as Savior? Jesus, I want you to come in and be my Savior. Forgive me all my sins and give me eternal life. And it's to commit to him as Lord. I want you to be Lord of my life and, and help me be the person you want me to be, won't you? And if you have, I want you to hear what it says, that you have eternal life, you're forgiven. Right now you get to do life with and for Jesus, with that person we were made for, and you get to do eternity with him, person and place. 
So, so what have we learned so far? What we've learned so far is the fall wrecked everything. And then, and then when we put our faith in Jesus, he begins to put us back together again. So I've got an action step for you this week. What I want you to do this week is I want you to, to get a grip. I want you to get a grip on the Word. I want you to get a grip on the Word of God. Um, in um, John chapter 8, notice what it says here. Jesus, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him. So some of the Jews had come to believe in him. Hopefully you're a believer. So what does Jesus say to those who are believers? Notice what he says. If you continue in my word, if you get a grip on my word, if you grip my word, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. Jesus, the Bible was very precious to Jesus. And with his disciples, the Bible is precious to them too because it was precious to Jesus. Is the Bible precious to you? Do you have a grip on it? Do you have a grip on his word? Um, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. Notice this, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What if we believed? What if we believed the Bible was God's word? What if we believed that in it was truth? And what if we believed that in it we would find the truth what would make us free? Wouldn't we want to get a grip on the word? So let me encourage you this week. Get a grip on the word so that you can overcome temptation and help others overcome temptation. And the truth will make you free. Are there temptations in your life you'd like to overcome? Then get a grip on the word. Remember Eve? Remember Eve, did she have a good grip on the word? She wasn't quite sure what God had said right, and when Satan tempted her with lies, she gave in to temptation, didn't she? But if you study the life of Jesus, Jesus was very different. When Jesus is tempted, how does he respond? He says what? It is written. It is written. It is written. He knows God's word. He believes God's word. He speaks God's word. He obeys God's word because he had a grip on the word. Do you? How do you get a grip on the Word? You've made a huge step. One way you get a grip on the Word is by gathering together in worship and hearing the Word of God. You know why? Because one of the gifts that Jesus gives His church are teachers who are gifted. And what does the Bible say? It says, so faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the Word of Christ. It's important to get a grip on the Word that we come and hear God's Word. But if you really want a grip, I encourage you, when you come and hear his word every week, that you would go and share with someone else what you've learned. Because when you share with someone else what you learned, it helps you to get a grip on the word. How do we get a grip on the word? Listen, we gather together in small groups, don't we? And we open God's word together. It's so good to open his word together because others have insights into his word that we don't have. And we do it together. And then it's important we go and share because when we share, it helps us to get a grip. Listen, there is uh, in the study a place to, for you to spend time in the Word. Let's do this together. It's so good when we do it together. My wife and I both do the study. We can ask each other, what did you learn in the Word today? And when we share it, it helps us to get a grip. And then it's important that we go and share others. Indeed, we're encouraging you to read the Word so you can have a grip on it and then pray the Word and then share the Word. 
You say, well, what in the world do you mean to pray the word? It's to take what we read like this and then to pray it. It's to read this verse and say, Lord, help me to continue in the word. When I read the word, help me to know the truth. And then, Lord, help me with the truth to be set free from the temptations that seem to overcome me, right? And, and, and then we want to go and share with others. One of the reasons Jesus had such a good grip on God's word is Jesus was always doing what? He was always teaching other people the word. The best way for us to get a grip on the word is to share with others what God is teaching us. So, as we grip God's word and we're tempted, then let's respond like Jesus and say, it is written, it is written, it is written. And then when we have a friend, when we have a friend and they're struggling with temptations, then we can share with them. Could I share with you what I found helpful in my own life? What I have found helpful is that God's word has so much power. And I'm learning from Jesus how to respond to temptation by saying it is written. But to do that, you have to have a grip on the word, right? So let me encourage you, get a grip on the word this week so that you can be free to overcome temptation and help others. Get a grip on the word so that you're able to share the gospel with yourself and with others. It's so important we get a grip on this one story of creation and fall and redemption and consummation. And I'm continually preaching that to myself. When I go outside and I see the beauty of God's creation, I say, Lord, this is the world you've made. I preach the gospel to myself. When I hear about the terrible things that people do, I preach the gospel. Listen, the fall wrecked everything and everyone. It helps me understand the world I live in. I preach redemption, Lord Jesus. You came to seek and save us. I, I, I preach the consummation. You're coming back one day to make all things new. What helps me with that is it helps me realize I have the person now, but I'm not in the place. I have the person now. I'm doing life with the person I was made for. But I'm not in the place. I live in a broken world, a sin-scarred world, and Christians are not immune to getting sick. Christians are not immune to terrible things happen or being betrayed or losing their jobs. No, no, we're doing life with Jesus now, but we're not in that place our hearts were made for, but one day we will be. I preach the gospel to myself over and over again. And if we preach the gospel to ourselves, then we can share it with others. Listen, how often does the conversation go like this? Someone says, well, why did God create a world with so much suffering in it? Anybody ever say that to you? I hear it all the time and say, listen, the world God created, um, there was no suffering. What? You see, in the story, in chapter 1, all that God made, it was good. And then people say what? Well, what happened? But you know now, right? And say, well, chapter 2 is called the fall. Our first parents sinned against God, and that wrecked everything. That's why there's so much suffering in the world. And then people say, well, why doesn't God do something? Oh, he has, and he will. You see, he has. That's chapter 3, redemption. Jesus came into the world to seek and save sinners. He lived and died and rose for us. Oh, but one day, one day he's coming back. And he's going to wipe every tear from her eyes. And then people will say, well, if that's what he's going to do one day, why does he delay? And then I put a big smile on my face because he wanted to wait for today so that I could share with you how you could have eternal life. 
Don't you want eternal life? It's so easy. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Listen, you can do it. You can do it. I've taught you. I've taught you. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You can do it. You can. That's why it's so important to have a grip on his word. So this week, this week, here's the assignment. Get a grip on his word. Are you a disciple? Are you? If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so glad you came to undo all the mess that we had made out of your beautiful creation. You came to, to save us. Thank you. Listen, if you're here today and you've never believed, if you'd like to be forgiven and to do life with Jesus and eternity with him, won't you just admit to him where you are? Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, Jesus, I believed you died on the cross for my sins and rose? And won't you commit? Jesus, I want you to come in and, and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've trusted him for the first time, won't you tell someone, mark it on your card, we'd love to celebrate with you. Jesus, for those of us who believe, thank you that you've given us your word. Lord, help us this week to, to get a grip on your word. Give us a love for your word. Help us to love to gather and to hear your word. Help us to learn to gather with others and study your word and to read your word. And Lord, as we read and study and hear your word, help us to share your word. Lord, may we use your word this week to overcome temptation and to help others. Lord, may we take your word and preach it to ourselves and to others this week. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.